You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Forefront. My name is Sarah. I'm the community director here at our church, all Today I'm going to share a little story about when I was about seven, eight years old. Um, I did a kid thing that lots of kids do when they're really angry, which is I, you know, whenever I got pissed at my parents, I would say, I'm running away. I'm never coming back. I hate this family, what have you. And so I would make this big show out of packing a toothbrush and my pajamas and my little Lion King backpack. And my parents would be like, uh-huh, where do you think you're going? And I'd be like, anywhere but here. I would slam the door shut, but I'd like wait outside by the window just to hear if they had any reactions and they had zero reactions. I'd be like, oh. And then I would walk around the park for a couple hours until I felt like my family really felt my absence. Um, then I would uh, return and my parents would have, once again, no reaction. And, you know, I'd just be like, why did I do that for? You know, the only person who suffered really was me. Um, why did I make this kind of dumb vow or commitment in this kind of heightened state of emotion? Um, and, you know, whenever you make these vows and commitments when you're like really angry and you come back to yourself, it kind of, you looking back on it, it's like that was kind of like an out of body experience almost. Like, who, why did I say that? Who was that person that said that? And the, this kind of behavior is like obviously cute once like young kids, less cute ones like adults who are maybe people in power, like your boss or the president of the United States. Um, but these kinds of emotions and these vows that we make in heightened emotions are what I want to unpack in this sermon. Um, it's going to be a very practical sermon because we're in a very practical series on the Sermon of the Mount, which is Jesus's kind of one of the first sermons he gives early in his ministry, which makes sense. We're in Epiphany season, which is the season right after Christmas. Um, and it's a sermon kind of full of psychological and practical insights, I actually think. So we're going to dive right into it. The Sermon on the Mount in particular um, is, is marked by this particular refrain. Jesus will say something like, you have heard it said, but I say to you, etc. So you have heard it said that if you commit murder, you're liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you're angry at your brother and you call him an idiot, you're also liable to judgment. So Jesus is kind of in the way that maybe jazz musicians do, are riffing off a particular refrain. And it's, it's a kind of innovation. But what Jesus do is actually pretty in keeping with what a lot of rabbis are doing back in that time, which is commentating on the Torah, or the first five books of commandments um, to Israel. And um, the rabbinic, this rabbinic form of Judaism isn't the main source of authority back then. There were other sources of authority, such as the priestly uh, authorities, the priests who conduct rituals and sacrifices at the altar. But after the destruction of the temple in 70 CE, um, the priest's authority kind of goes away because the temple is no longer there. He can't commit, make sacrifices. And so the rabbinic, uh, the rabbis eventually become the dominant authority in Judaism. And rabbinic Judaism starts to take off and now is the mainstream form of Judaism as we know it today. And you can kind of understand Christianity itself as a loose branch of rabbinic Judaism. I say all this because it's, it is actually a pretty important backdrop for the Sermon on the Mount, but particularly Matthew 5, 33-37, which is our text for today, aka the Don't Swear passage. I'm going to read it out loud. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. 
But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. So you see that familiar Jesus saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you type of switcheroo. Uh, and it seems that Jesus is saying, okay, you've heard it said, don't make false vows. Don't make vows that you don't keep. But I say to you, don't make vows at all. Uh, and it's a little strange. I mean, obviously one way of interpreting this is Jesus is saying, don't make like extravagant, hyped language that really you don't really mean. Or you could just say yes or no and follow through. Like for instance, don't say like, I swear on my mother's grave that I will do the dishes this time. Just do the dishes or they don't say like I'm gonna pray for you and use like really religious language and um but you don't end up praying for that person so you know that's definitely one take and I think that makes sense but it's never really like made sense to me why Jesus would think it was such a big deal um and Jesus says this is you know from the evil one and it's like I don't know it's a little bit of a stretch perhaps so, you know, it's kind of a fun puzzle. Let's try to figure it out, what this passage, this tension within this passage. So what I did, uh, and this is, um, you know, just to kind of give people insight into some of my research process, as I know some of you are trying to figure out how to engage in the Bible, is whenever I read these passages that I'm a little confused by, I'm not super sure about, or in general, I usually pull out um, a copy of the Jewish uh, annotated New Testament, which is annotations by different uh, Jewish scholars, because uh, the New Testament in some ways is a commentary on the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. So what I did when I looked up um, this verse in particular, what I saw was a footnote that said, points out this verse is actually quite similar to Ecclesi Ecclesiastes 5 verse 5, which I want to read out. It is better that you should not vow than, than that you should vow and not fulfill it. So it's better that you don't vow than you vow and not fulfill it. So it's like, you know, better, it's kind of like a, a way of, put, another way of putting it, it's like it's don't overpromise and under deliver, so to speak. Um, and then the, co the commentary makes another note, which I found kind of interesting. Some rabbis forbid, forbid certain oaths. For example, m.ned, one point through unbinding vows, what have you, but Jesus goes further. Um, so when I read this, um, because my partner is a graduate of Jewish Theological Seminary, I was like, Abby, what is m.ned? And she responds, what? And I'm like, you know, I'm reading, it's in the, it's in the Jewish Antioch New Testament, m.ned, like, what is that? And she says, oh, it's Mishnah Nederim. So Mishnah Nederim is a section in the Talmud, and the Talmud itself is essentially written commentary on the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. And Mishan and Arim in particular is entirely voted to vows. Very exciting stuff. Um, and by the way, if you're interested in learning more about just commentaries on the Torah, commentaries um, in the Talmud, um, I recommend checking out hadar.org, H-A-D-A-R.org, or safaria.org. I'm actually going to walk you through a screenshot of what safaria.org looks like because it's really useful. You can see on the slide, you have Mishnah Nederim in the center column on the left, and on the right are all these commentaries on Mishnah Nederim. So you essentially have commentaries on commentary, because the Mishnah itself is a commentary on the Torah. And the reason why I'm getting into the weeds here, as Carissa kind of predicted, 
is that the Talmud is written down around 200 uh, CE, more or less, kind of the first forms of it. But before that, it was an oral tradition, more or less, that was passed out through generations. So most likely when Jesus is, is extemporizing off the Torah, he's doing this in a climate in which many rabbis are doing so as well. And this is part of an oral tradition that's passed down. So looking at the Talmud is actually a helpful context to understand the milieu in which Jesus was speaking. So when we read Mishnah Nadarim, one thing that's really clear from the onset is that almost all the vows they are talking about, uh, vows, not like marital vows or like, you know, I promise like good things type thing. But all these vows are vows usually made in anger and used to divide, separate yourself from someone. So here's a quote. If one says to his neighbor, I am bevowed from you, I'm separate from you, I'm distanced from you, that I not eat from you, that I not taste from you, he is forbidden to do so. So these are the kinds of vows that the rabbis and the Talmud and most likely Jesus are talking about. So make sure that later on in the Mishnah, it says, he who vows, even though he fulfills it, is designated a sinner. So you see this kind of catch-22 with vows. On the one hand, you don't want to be a person that doesn't keep their word, that would be bad. But if you did keep your word, giving your vow is like not great to begin with, that's also kind of bad. What do you do? So this is what the mission of Jareem is about. It's entirely devoted, most essentially, to looking for loopholes to vows made in anger. And so for those of you who are lawyers, this might be a familiar exercise to you, or a ticklish exercise, who knows. So like as an example, you know, the rabbis say, if you make a vow, but later on you learn new information that would have changed the fact that you make that vow, the vow is no longer, you know, binding a vow to you. I think it's something from like contract law, essentially, that we still teach today in law school. Or if you make a vow saying, I, I, I am distanced from you, I, what have you. The rabbis say, so long as you're like six feet apart, essentially what we're doing today, um, you're still keeping your vow. So you can still talk to this person, just stay six feet apart. Um, one of my favorite examples um, is, is, is their commentary on the vow to never benefit from someone. Apparently it's a kind of common vow you would do back in the day, like, may I never benefit from you or gain from you. So the rabbis say, okay, you made this vow, kind of regret it, we got to kind of keep it. So here's what you can and cannot do. You can still visit this person, but when you do so in their home, you cannot sit down, you can only stand, lest you benefit from their furniture or floor. Um, and you know, at that time it was, it was quite common to take large communal baths, like kind of the Roman bath houses. And it's okay to take a lot to bathe with this person in a large bath setting, but um, don't do it in a small tub because if it's in a small tub, when you're splashing water in yourself, you might kind of, uh, all your neighbor or your person is splashing water in themselves, you might accidentally benefit from the like splashing that they're doing on themselves for you and that would be benefiting. Um, my most favorite one is you um, can still sleep in the same bed as this person, but you can only do it in summertime because if you do it in wintertime, you are benefiting from this person's body heat. Um, I, I, the whole thing is actually extremely hilarious. Rabbis have a great sense of humor. Um, and I, the reason why I'm, I'm kind of, I find these legal exercises I think so fascinating is because at the heart of the, what they're trying to do, beyond the fact that they're hilarious, um, is they're trying to help us figure out how do we repair the breach? How do we overcome the walls and divisions that we've constructed amongst ourselves while at the same time take the words we say seriously. You notice the rabbis never quite say like, you can just 
like, forget about it, you know, ignore those words. They still take the impact of words seriously. And I think that is the spirit of what Jesus is trying to do in Matthew 5. Jesus, I don't think it's making this absolute pronouncement on all vows and all oaths. I think he's talking about vows made in anger, like when I was seven or eight and decided to run away from home. Um, so, you know, I think, Jesus, but Jesus, I think, goes even further. Instead of looking for loopholes, Jesus says, how about just not swear at all? Because it will save you a lot of heartache, will save you a lot of trouble, we don't have to do damage control anymore and what have you. And I think underneath his and the rabbi's concern of our vows is the assumption that words matter. That they have the power to heal, to hurt, to unify or to divide. And so we have to take them seriously. So seriously that sometimes it's better not to say anything at all. So how does this, you know, the theme of the service and the sermons like integrity and honesty, and that is like I said, a popular interpretation of this passage, how does this inform our view of integrity and honesty. So integrity, I think, tends to be, tends to mean, um, or honesty tends to mean saying what you really mean, like not hiding or suppressing, but articulating. I think in this case, this passage gives us kind of the opposite view. It forces us to reflect on the words we say that we don't really mean. Um, that maybe we mean in the moment, but when we return to ourselves, when we return to our bodies, we realize, wait, you know, why did I say that? You know, when sometimes you might have an outburst at relatives or parents and you say like, you know, I never want to come back home for the holidays again, or maybe you're a manager or you're working with someone's team and someone makes a mistake for like the 10th time and you say, I'm never trusting you again with this assignment or or you're really mad and you're in the line of customer service and you're saying, I'm never buying from this company again. I'm gonna report you to your manager. I'm gonna be terrible ratings and the poor person's like making minimum wage. Um, I think Jesus is thinking about like, these are the moments when we make vows that I think we need to like maybe avoid. And so I, I think integrity, just to kind of sum it up, means not just saying what you mean, but also realizing when you don't mean what you're about to say. And to do that requires being grounded in yourself and becoming self-aware as to recognizing when you're not in the right state of mind or heart to speak and express yourself. And that you might need a moment, uh, as a sort of Buddhist monk once said to me, you need a moment to take care of your emotions um, before coming back and kind of engaging and speaking your mind. Because what you say might end up being hurtful, might be, end up being something you regret and what have you. So uh, I think in this chapter, and in this chapter in particular Matthew 5, Jesus says something right before that I think is an important context as well. Jesus is saying, when you offer a gift at the altar, a sacrifice, a little something, a little spiritual act, and you remember that someone has a grudge against you, you should first be reconciled to that person or try to make amends before you offer your gift at the altar. Um, and I think I really like the passage because oftentimes in certain forms of uh, more conservative Christianity, evangelical Christianity, the priority is your vertical relationship with God and secondary is your horizontal relationship with people. But in this case, actually, the priority is almost flipped where you're saying you can't really have this vertical relationship unless you try to make amends in your horizontal plane. So in, a little bit after service, we're going to take communion, right? And I invite you to reflect on, you know, what walls of division have you put up between yourself and another person and just reflect are those are those walls like actually healthy boundaries that you really thought were thoughtful about and it's ultimately best for you and the other person 
or are, were those walls kind of created in a moment of like vindictive spite or what have you and you're not fully yourself and maybe you're dealing with a little bit of regret about those walls that you created and maybe you know it's time to reflect on whether it's time to dismantle those walls. I just invite you to, for that kind of reflection um, after the sermon but I want to kind of end on this note. One thing I really love about this passage is actually how it ends. Um, Jesus says, let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. So what does comes from the evil one kind of mean? And remember, that was the phrase that kind of threw me off in the beginning. Um, you know, I would say in pre-modern times generally, whenever people saw out-of-norm behavior, like socially deviant behavior or what have you, they would interpret it uh, through the lens of demon possession, a spirit possession. It sounds kind of scary now, but also just like kind of normal. Like it was normal that you know, spirits might come and go. We were living in a porous realm, so to speak. And that's just someone's, that's how I think we get the phrase, someone's possessed by anger. And now in modern times, we use psychological language. We don't say someone's possessed by evil spirit. We say someone's possessed by anger or maybe mental illness or maybe it's unresolved trauma plus a lifetime of poor coping mechanisms that's causing them to act X, Y, Z. But I think either way, whether you take a spirit view or a science view, I think the point of what Jesus is trying to communicate, at least in my reading, is a, is a stance, as a judgment of grace, actually, and not a act of judgment. Because I think Jesus is saying, in those moments which, which you feel this thing rising up in you and you're really angry or maybe it's a little bit alcohol as well, maybe it's a little bit of stress, who knows, and you let these really hurtful words fly, these vows and oaths, what have you, the, the, those, the part of you, those words that are coming out are not really coming from who you are, are not really coming to the core of who you are. They're coming from a darker force, from the evil one, so to speak. I think in other words, Jesus is saying, I see you as more than the worst decisions you made or the most terrible things you've said. And that those things do not define you. They are not a part of you. I see you as more than that, essentially. And I think this is, I think, a pretty powerful psychologically, like, grace-filled way of being. Especially when we think, and it brings, I think, a whole new meaning when we think about Jesus as the Lord of Light, Jesus as the person, you know, in, in Isaiah to, to release the captives from darkness and set the prisoners free. I think part of what Jesus calls us to is liberation from these unresolved things within us that kind of bubble forth in moments of anger or stress or what have you. And that part of what Jesus is calling us in freedom for is a kind of internal freedom. It's a freedom from breaking perhaps generations of, you know, trauma or generations of like really bad habits or what have you. So it's a lot to kind of reflect on and giving you a bunch of things to think about. And uh, we're going to transition into a time of prayer actually. We're going to try moving prayer right after the sermon, right after the sermon. And particularly Bella is going to lead us into a kind of contemplative prayer. And I'm going to lead us into it. God, um, we pray for, <coughs> for your freedom, for liberation, for sweet relief. We pray for um, our church to be a community, for all of us to have relationships in which you know, we can be fully known, both the best and worst parts of ourselves, in which people feel free to call us into the best parts of ourselves, as Jesus does. 
Um, but I pray um, that your light will always outshine darkness. And I thank you, God, that your grace um, seizes us way more than our, our lowest points in our lives. In your name. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.